0: Good to be with you again, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a well-known passage, it's the account of Christ's interaction with the woman at the well in Samaria. I cannot take the time to read the entire account here or review the passage in detail, but I can give this brief summary. Jesus had put in a day of long travel. He reached Samaria, where he sat by Jacob's well, while his disciples went into Sychar, the nearby city, to buy food. As he sat there, a woman came to the well to draw water. jesus asked the woman for a drink of water from the well and that drew from the woman a response of surprise given the fact that he was a jew and she a samaritan starting a conversation using the metaphor of thirst and water jesus spoke to her of living water the woman was perplexed i think knowing that He didn't really mean water from that well, but having no idea really what he did mean and who he is claiming to be, Jesus worked with her perplexity, opening her understanding one step at a time as to the living water that comes from him, and he gently exposed the thirst of soul within her in a way that began to open her eyes to who he is. There was then this exchange about uh, the Jewish versus Samaritan religion in which Jesus tells her that her religion was in fact a false religion. When she responded saying that When Messiah came, he would settle this long-running debate between the Samaritans and Jews. He tells her clearly that he is the promised Messiah. She now, as one who believes in Jesus, the Christ, went into the city and spoke to people in the city about her experience with Jesus. and Many others believed in Christ as Jesus remained there with them for two days. Our focus today will be on the words of Jesus to the woman, as they are found in verse 10 and in verses 13 and 14. But to catch the immediate context, I want you to follow along as I read from just verse 1 through verse 26 of John chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then John adds this note of explanation for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father." The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, regarding the woman that Jesus spoke to at the well, I want us to note that, first of all, obviously, she was a Samaritan. Now, as a Samaritan, she held to a corrupt form of biblical religion. She accepted only portions of the Old Testament as scripture, namely the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, and perhaps a few of the books written by the prophets. Her worship was a mixture of what God had given to Israel through Moses and things taken from Assyrian idolatry. She relied on a religion that was created by its worshippers, both in terms of its doctrine and its practice. It was a religion created by her fellow countrymen. Now, the second thing I want you to note here is that she was a woman that was disdained by Samaritan and Jew alike. She tried not to talk about it. She may have preferred that no one know, but uh, that was pretty hard to conceal. Her life was a mess. She had been married, we assume divorced, five times. She was currently living with a man that she was not married to. Now, our text does not fix the blame on this woman for her failed marriages. It may be that she was at fault, but that is hardly the point. Whoever was to blame, whatever the cause, a person cannot cycle through that many marriages and not be severely broken and deeply scarred. And there is no world in which a woman who has been through five marriages is left is not left with a yearning of soul, especially if this woman had gone into those marriages hoping and desiring that she might find some degree of love in them and respect and satisfaction. This was a woman who knew the heart-rending disappointment and sorrow of failed marriages but She would then repeat the same mistake again and again, only compounding the trauma to her soul. She had looked to these relationships for some degree of hope. But just like her religion, they were not relationships as God had directed in his word. And there was at last no joy in in them, but only soul-deadening hollowness. Jesus engaged this woman in a conversation there by the well outside of Sychar. As wells go, this was, in fact, an excellent well. It was about 100 feet deep, spring-fed, and it was ancient. It was first dug by Jacob about 2,000 years earlier, and it was still reliable then, and as an aside, It's still a functioning well and a very good well even to this day. Jesus engaged, I'm sorry, Jesus spoke to this woman. He asked her to give him a drink from the well. He asked her that because his body was thirsty after the travels of the day. And and he also asked a drink from her to demonstrate to this woman in very striking, even perhaps shocking terms, that he did not despise her as it seemed everyone else did. But rather he would treat her with respect and even humbly ask her to give him the water that he needed. And he did need the water. In his true human need, he asked for water that he needed and that she could give to him. Jesus then used this whole matter of thirst and water that's in the forefront of their interaction as a metaphor to offer to this woman the answer to her need, her thirst. And we do need to remember, as we come to passages like this, that ancient Middle Eastern cultures frequently used metaphors and symbolism in their thinking and in their conversation. It's not, it was not nearly as unusual to them as it is to us. And so under the imagery of thirst and water, he was telling her, telling us. The faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ opens to us a free abundance of God's grace, so great that we will find that we lack nothing. We lack nothing to a life of righteousness, to a life of peace, to a life of joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I would like to open up these verses by asking and answering a number of questions. And the first of these questions is, so what is the problem that Jesus is speaking to? Now, Jesus metaphorically described the problem that only he can provide an answer to in verse 13, when he says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Now, Jesus is only stating the obvious with regard to thirst in the body and wells of water. He's not saying that the well there at Sychar was defective. It was an excellent well. But the fact is that when we drink water from a well or from any other source, There is only temporary satisfaction of our thirst. And in time, we will thirst again. Again, we're stating the obvious. Every child knows that this is true. If I give you a drink of water at lunchtime, sometime later today, you will be thirsty for something to drink indeed jesus has shown that this is such an obvious universal truth that it was true of him what he drank when he drank water from a well he thirsted again his body thirsted he had no doubt had water to drink earlier that day before setting out on this journey and he was now thirsty and he needed water again and in the generally dry climate of that region, it would not be long before he would be thirsty yet again that day, even if he drank deeply from the well. So again, we ought not to see Christ as saying something ambiguous or, or unclear. It's stating the obvious. If you drink water from this well, you will thirst again. Because our bodies do not have a source of water within them. We must get water from outside our body. We must get water from what we eat and drink. And in all the world, and with all the inventiveness of human beings, and with all the technology we have today, it's still true. The very best that we can expect in the world is to find sources of water that do not increase thirst. For example, salt water will actually increase your thirst. The best we can hope for is water that only provides a temporary relief to our thirst. When you put it that way, it sounds very dismal and depressing, but... It's accurate and true, and it's obvious. So if Jesus is stating the obvious, he's not obviously not driving at anything about wells and of water and, a bottle and our body's thirst. What does he mean by the metaphor? Well, he's obviously speaking of something other than our bodies, our spirit, our inner being what is our real self and our spirits have thirst. And the satisfaction of that thirst is as essential to our spiritual lives as water is and the thirst of our, the satisfaction of thirst in our bodies is to physical life. And we will find that our spirit just like our body has no source of satisfaction of thirst within ourselves, by ourselves. We need what is beyond us to quench the thirst of our spirit. And all that is in the world, and all that is in the expanse of all that God has created, every created thing, can never provide enduring relief from that thirst of the Spirit. There are many things that seem like they would quench that thirst, and they only increase it. In the best case, we will find things that give temporary relief to thirst in our inner being. Let me just toss out here as a thought as an aside. This was true of Adam before he fell. Man was never intended to have within himself, by himself, that which would satisfy the thirst of his spirit. Well, is this true or has Jesus exaggerated the case? Well, surely at least for this woman at the well, I think it seems to be true. Five husbands... Five ruined relationships, five times the heart was broken. Now a sixth relationship that would likely end the same way. Each of those temporary relief from thirst, but the thirst returned. But you say, well, that's one case, and it's rather exceptional, wouldn't you say? Well, that's true. But let's think about this a little bit longer. There is something like over 330 million people in the United States. I think by any measure, our country is one that has more and provides more to its people than perhaps any country in the history of the world. And what's our experience? What's our experience? Do we look around in our country and see people whose thirst, has been satisfied? Have we found anything in all that our country has that gives refreshment and satisfaction of the thirst of our spirit that is enduring and permanent? Well, I think any fair-minded person would say that the collective experience of hundreds of millions of Americans today, more than ever in our history, says that there is nothing in this world and nothing in God's creation that can give permanent relief to the thirst of the Spirit. Now, that's not to say that there's nothing good to be enjoyed in many of those things. Not at all. They are given to be enjoyed. It's a very different thing to look to those things to satisfy thirst. And when looking to those things to satisfy thirst, it's only temporary. The thirst might be relieved. And so it seems at first that Jesus is off in what he's saying. But his point is, you will thirst again. Consider a little bit more. Material things, money, houses, cars, food, education, careers, all the different toys that people buy at high prices, leisure time. There are many that enjoy these things in great abundance, fabulously wealthy. More money than they know what to do with. But what do you see in them? Generally speaking, you see people whose even though we don't know them closely, it just their whole lives scream. That the thirst is not satisfied. Say yeah, well, I but how many people really want to be that wealthy? I just want more than I have. Well, how does that work? What we see again and again is that that more than I have, when looking to that to be the satisfaction of thirst, the thirst returns. One of the most striking statements in Jeremiah Burroughs' book on the rare jewel of Christian contentment, which I. Cannot recommend highly enough that every Christian read. It's very readable, very approachable. One of the most striking statements he makes in that book is that Christian contentment comes by way of subtraction, not addition. It's a very striking statement. And to watch him open it up is very informative and very helpful. Do not satisfy the thirst in these things. No matter how much, how little we have of material things, a little more will not satisfy the thirst of the spirit. Look in another direction. Physical well-being. Something, I suppose, that we all ought to care about. We have one of the best medical systems in the world. With all its flaws in terms of cost, quality, and access, it's still far superior to what the majority of the world's population has available to them. Physical exercise is understood probably better than ever before, the benefits of it, the necessity of it. We probably have more fitness centers and gyms available than, again, ever before. There are more options for pursuing. Physical well-being. Our life expectancies have been on an upward trajectory. People are living longer and living in better health later than ever before. But is the thirst quenched? No, the thirst will only return. Mental and psychological well-being. Don't have statistics to put before you. My sense is that never in our history have we had so many psychologists, therapists, and counselors. And here we are dealing, I think, rather obviously with, in the majority, thirst of the inner being in the kinds of things that these practitioners deal with. Is the thirst satisfied? No, it only returns more attention has been given in our time to the care and nurture of our psychological well-being than ever before it nations in the in the history before have never even it's never even occurred to them to ask some of the questions we asked today about how i can be fulfilled as a human being. <clears throat> how has is, how is that quenched the thirst? It hasn't. Depression and suicide, you'll see in the news are at alarming levels. And if that's if depression and suicide as a rule, I know there are exceptional situations or different contributors to these, but certainly as a general rule, depression and suicide speak of the evidence of a thirsty soul. We're told that we will never thirst again if we can find our true identity and realize our true selves, but the thirst keeps returning. One that I could speak to at length, but I'm not, is the whole area of sexual pleasures. And the reason I'm not going to speak to it at length is just the, the raw fact that there is nothing left for our society to try to find an answer to the thirst of the soul. We have run the gamut, and we have exhausted the options. And it's obvious. No satisfaction of the thirst. I've gone on at length. I could go on much longer. Christians, though, often look at all this, they shake their heads in disgust, and they say, well, I'm glad we have Christianity. Our religion is what satisfies. But again, I'll ask if that is really true. It seems to me that viewed as a whole, evangelical Christianity is on a a pursuit to satisfy a thirst of soul. We try to satisfy it with a designer religion. Worship in Christianity, that is what we think we need. It's what we think will quench our thirst. But like the Samaritan woman with her designer religion, It didn't quench her thirst. Her thirst returned. You watch how this plays out. The entertainment is okay for a while, but it then kind of gets kind of stale. It needs to be revamped. Greater freedom for carnality, looser standards. In time begins to feel restrictive again. We need to reassess our standards for the realities of our time. The greater relevance of the Bible's teaching that we achieve through adjustment of what the Bible says seems to grow irrelevant again after a while. You see, the thirst keeps returning. Strangely, though, we seem less and less thirsty for God less and less thirsty for the things of God, less and less thirsty for time with God, for Christ's church, for the disciplines of life in his church. These aren't the things that are being desired. Maybe it's more accurate to say that we are as thirsty as ever for God but we're less willing than ever before to drink the living water that will satisfy that thirst. I could go on for a long while demonstrating the truth of what Christ is saying to us here. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing in the world, there is nothing in God's creation that can give enduring satisfaction to the thirst of the soul. And yet... There is a thirst. There, are the, there is this desire. And Jesus said he can give to us what will permanently quench, the thirst our spirits have. And this leads us to ask then so what is the answer to this thirst? What is it that Christ provides? And he said in verse 10 that the answer, the, the thing he provides is living water. In verse 14, he says that whoever drinks this living water that he gives will never thirst. Further, he says that this living water will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, the general metaphor of thirst and water is still in play, but Jesus is now moving beyond the the restrictions of the imagery of that well um, and what was immediately there. He's speaking of living water, a fountain of water. It would give the sense of a moving stream, a continuous flow from a fountainhead that is abundant and clear and refreshing. Yet Jesus very clearly is not speaking of water as it's found in the natural world and natural springs he's speaking of spiritual water that becomes evident because he says it springs up to eternal life it's providing supplying eternal life so jesus is beginning to reveal the meaning of the metaphor. There are two things especially that Jesus wants us to understand about this living water. He says, first of all, that this living water quenches the soul's thirst truly and permanently. It's not temporary relief. It is the answer. It is the remedy to the thirst of our inner being such that we will never thirst again. The second thing that we see is when Christ gives us living water, it is in us. It is within us. This is a key point, and it's one that Jesus lays stress to. Jesus is saying that he implants the very source of the living water within us so that it will continually be springing, up welling up bubbling up to provide and supply eternal life within us now it's not of ourselves he implants it in us don't think then in terms of jesus promising a source of hydration like an iv that you get hooked up to and it runs the the fluid into you that's not what he's speaking of he he's speaking more in terms of as if we had an organically implanted generator of water it creates water that is constantly supplying all the fluid needed by every organ of the body, every process that occurs in the body, so that you never in fact have a sense of thirst. There's never a desire for water from any other source than the one within you. So this kind of then leads to the question, so what is this living water? What exactly is Jesus talking about? Now, one of the dangers in interpreting the parables and illustrations that Jesus uses is to become too technical with them, too detailed with them, so that you lose track of the point that Jesus is making and you draw all kinds of strange conclusions from them so it's always paramount when you're dealing with the parables and metaphors that christ uses to remember the context what's the point that jesus is making commentators debate the precise object symbolized with living water some say it's the spirit of god the living water is the spirit of god some say the living water is the grace of God. Some will say living water is spiritual life. Some will say, well, the, the living water is Christ himself. I agree with those who gently push back on the debate and say all of those come into the picture. And that's not just a cop I believe that that is the fact Precisely because all of these things are bound up in Christ, received by faith. Christ, we find in the Bible, it's said that Christ gives life. Yet, we find in other places that Christ is our life. And yet again, we read that Christ gives his spirit. And yet again, that the spirit is our life. And that we live in and by and through the Spirit. Christ is given to us by the grace of God through faith. And yet, Christ Himself is the grace of God given to us by faith. The grace of the new covenant gives the Spirit to us. And yet, the Spirit Himself is the spirit of grace of the new covenant. I think maybe the best way to put it is to borrow from the title of a little booklet written by Henry Scougal. If you've read the biography of George Whitfield, you know that it was this little booklet that he said God used in his conversion. This living water is, to use the title of that booklet, it's the life of God in the soul of man. It's the life of God in the soul of man. So here's the thing we, we need to see. Jesus Christ gives living water. It is the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. And all of the abundant provision of forgiveness, of righteousness, of peace, of joy, of contentment, of truth, of grace, of life, of power, of strength. All that we need, all that we are not, all that we desire, all that is necessary to life in God and life with God, Christ is, Gives all of this. Jesus said he came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's exactly what he's saying here. I give living water. I give life. I give everything needed for life. I give everything necessary for life, but I give it full and satisfying and in abundance In me. Someone might pick up on this and say, ah, I think I've caught you. Doesn't the Christian still thirst? Doesn't the Bible speak of that? Well, yes, it does. Jesus said that those are blessed who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, that's true. And again, you need to understand that Jesus is speaking to a particular truth with a particular metaphor, and he's not driving at the same point in both passages. But let me say this. Jesus also said in that beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What did he say then? For they shall be filled. Yes, there is a thirst in the Christian, but it's a thirst that is truly and continually being satisfied. It's continually being satisfied from the very spring of water that produces the thirst for that spring of water. It's not a thirst that leaves the soul dissatisfied. It's a thirst for yet greater and greater satisfaction, and joy, and peace in Christ. And again, I recommend to you Jeremiah Burroughs and The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He talks about some of the, the ironies of Christian contentment. And he says how the Christian is at one and the same time the most contented and satisfied person in the world, and yet the most dissatisfied person Always want more of God and more of Christ. Well, here's the question. What do we need to do that we might have this living water? What do we need to do to have the living water? Well, Christ gives a one-word answer. It's really very simple. He said, ask. Ask. tells the woman in verse 10, if she only asked, he would give her this living water. So I ask each one here, have you asked Christ for this living water? Are you living on a daily basis asking Christ, For living water. Is that how your life is lived? Seems so simple. But the fact is that very few people ask. Very few people ask. They're thirsty. But they never ask for living water. Now why is that? I'm not sure I can fully explain it because sin makes the fool makes fools of so the wisest of men but i think the answer has to do with the fact that people are unwilling to admit their thirst no I, i'm not thirsty they can hardly speak because their tongue is kind of sticking to the root of their mouth but i'm not thirsty Or or they are convinced that they can satisfy their thirst with things around them, things in the world. They just haven't figured out the secret yet. Give them a little bit more time, a little bit more skill, they're going to figure this out. I've often said that you get a you get people together and and it's like it's like it's a shell game. If everybody turned over the shells at the same time, everybody would realize there's nothing under anybody's shell. But everybody lives convinced that somebody has the secret to this, that they just gotta figure out themselves. You see, this is exactly why Jesus gently but purposefully brought up this woman's history of failed marriages. He wasn't trying to embarrass her. He wasn't trying to rub a raw spot. He wasn't being hard with her. He knew she thought another try at it might work. Jesus was showing her that sin and doing things our way and seeking to fulfill our own thirst in the things within us or around us, all of this ultimately ends up with our destruction. It doesn't build us up. It erodes who we are. And it's when Christ opens our eyes to the hopeless folly of our own solutions, we see that we need to ask that he might give us what we cannot find anywhere else, living water. This is exactly why Jesus gently but firmly also told her, your religion is not true. Your hope of peace with God is unfounded. That's why the thirst isn't satisfied there either. There was a reason she never found true and lasting answers to her thirst in the teaching and the worship of her church. Because at last, her church was man-made. It didn't come from God. It came from the creature. It was a created thing. It belonged to this world. It was not what God gives. Asking Asking, you see, in the realm of religion requires that we move from a concept of religion where I give to God what I think he wants and what I enjoy giving to him to a concept of religion where I bow to God in humility to give him only what he has said will please him and receive from him what he gives in grace. Well, You say, but this is so simple. You've oversimplified it for sure. Ask, and I will receive. How do I know that if I ask, he will give? And Jesus answers this question in verse 10. He says there's three things that give you absolute assurance that he will give you living water when you ask. The first is? Christ will give living water to you when you ask because it is the gift of God. Look at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked and he would give you living water. If you knew the gift, the grace of God, he would give you. You see, living water is not something we gain as wages we earn. It's not even a reward or recognition we receive for what we are or what we've done. Living water is not a gift that God gives only to good people. That's pretty obvious from our text, isn't it? Jesus said that this woman would receive it if she asked. She's not one of those good, respectable people. Living water is the free grace of God that Christ gives to whoever he chooses to give it and whoever asks. Secondly, we see that Christ will give living water to us when we ask because he is God. He is Messiah. He is the anointed of Jehovah. He is the Son of God. Verse 10. If you knew who it is that speaks to you. You would have asked, and he would have given living water. You see, Jesus Christ, as God himself, is full of grace and truth. He is the light. He is the life. He is the fountainhead of the living waters. All that we need, all that we need is bound up in him. He gives to us out of his infinite being. And you are only finite. So there is no possibility you can ever exhaust what he will give. The third and perhaps most important reason we can be sure that Christ will give living water to us when we ask is because he said he would. Because he said he would. Do you really understand that? Jesus said he would. Folks, this is the point. This is the point, not this passage, but another passage, but it is this point that God used to convert me. He said he would. Now Jesus would no longer be good, and he would no longer be God if what he said he would do, he doesn't do. His word and his promise are sure, and they are so certain, they are so certain that you can risk everything on what Christ says and not be let down. He will give to those who ask. You say, well, but I asked, and it didn't happen. Well, I think you misunderstand. You don't ask once, and you're done. It's a life of asking. The just shall live by faith. We don't execute. We don't exercise faith in Christ, and then we're done. It's a life. It's a life of faith. It's a life of asking. It's a life of looking to God and to what, all that is in Christ for all that we need every day. Every day. So, are you thirsty? If if you're unconverted, are you tired of being thirsty? It's gone on a while. You've never had that thirst really quenched. Are you willing to give up and turn away from all the ways you've tried to satisfy your thirst? See, that's the rub. You gotta humble yourself and say, I don't have. In fact, everything I do only makes the problem worse. I'm done. I'm done. From this point forward, it's Christ and what is Him in him alone. You ask. You ask in faith. You ask believing. You ask resting. You ask trusting. You ask without doubting ask knowing that those who ask receive the living waters that only christ can give and they never thirst again but again i say even when we've received the living water that christ gives let us be sure to look nowhere else for what satisfies the craving of our souls and even the child of God who has once who has tasted of that living water can foolishly neglect the living water in Christ and begin to be drawn to the salt water of the world. And there will be that thirst again every day, every day. Don't look to yourself always to Christ. We live with Christ by constant faith in the truth of the gospel and in Christ himself and living that way. We never thirst again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We can say with utter conviction of the truth of the statement that Jesus Christ gives living water. We know what it is to thirst. We know what it is to have that thirst quenched in him. Let us who have tasted of those living waters never look back to Egypt again, but to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and to keep our cup constantly full of all that is in him by the provision of your grace that we receive by faith. O God, for those who have never experienced what it is, drink of living water. God, show them as you showed that woman by that well who your son is and of his glory and of the glory and privilege of the grace that you have provided in him. And we pray, our God, that they will forsake any every other hope. And believe that when they ask, you will give. Do for them, O our God, what you have done for many of us here. And do it for your glory and for the glory of your Son, Jesus. Amen.